Welcome to Behind the Wings, a new podcast by Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum, and we've got a lot to explore. Stories about how history shapes aviation today, trailblazers in space, and up-close looks at iconic aircraft of the past, present, and future. It's time to go Behind the Wings. I'm your host, Rick Crandall, and with me as always, Wings Over the Rockies President and CEO, John Barry. John, what do we have for folks today? Well, Rick, today's show is a conversation with Sharon McDougall, a modern-day hidden figure, crew chief and manager of the Space Shuttle Crew Escape Equipment Processing Department. Now, she is the first black woman to serve in those roles. She has had an amazing career, and we're going to dive into her journey. So, Rick, what more do we know about Sharon? Sharon is a former NASA spacesuit technician. She suited up Mae Jemison, the first black woman to go to space, worked on the SR-71 with pressure suits, and now tells her story in all kinds of ways. She authored a children's book, Suit Up with Shay, and we're happy to have her tell her story today on Behind the Wings. Well, Rick, I think we're going to really love this conversation. This woman has an amazing amount of energy. She can tell her story in such a deliberate and exciting way. So I think we're going to have an amazing take on this one today. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Why don't we just get started? Sharon McDougall, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I've been so excited ever since Craig asked me about this. I'm like, of course I will. <laughs> and I didn't know it was going to be two Air Force veterans. That just See, there time. you go. Well, we're delighted. And uh, did a little research on your background and some of the you know, historic things that you've been able to participate in the Air Force, particularly in the space arena. Let's, let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about your Air Force years and what you did with the SR-71 and how you got started, you know, in the Air Force and how that led later on when we start talking about NASA. So let's start with SR-71. Okay. So I joined the, I joined the service right out of high school. I took mm-hmm. the test. I actually tested and uh, enlisted on my birthday. I went down there on my birthday, my 18th birthday, because I was ready to go. <laughs> I was ready mm-hmm. for an adventure. And uh, the first job they offered me was air traffic controller, but I hadn't graduated high school yet. And you guys know back then in the Reagan era where the air traffic controllers were on strike. So they were trying to bring in air traffic controllers. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first job. And I'm glad my principal didn't allow me to graduate early because I would have been an air traffic controller and probably somewhere in a a loony bin right now (laughs) from crashing airplanes into each other. (laughs) So, So the next career that came up per my test scores, and like I always tell everybody, my job chose me. You know, the Air Force chose our job, so was aerospace physiology. And I was like, ooh, that sounds fancy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that is, but I'm ready. (laughs) So that's how I got to build Air Force Base. I went to a boot camp, of course, for six weeks. And then uh, everybody else was going, getting on the plane, going to their tech schools and everything. And I'm excited. I'm like, where am I going? They called me a cab and rolled right down the street (laughs) to Brooks Air Force Base. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what? I'm all excited. So anyway, went down to Brooks to the School of Aerospace Medicine, and mm-hmm. I was there for approximately a month to learn about the altitude chambers. That was my real AFSC, my real job uh, assignment. I was over the altitude chamber and the high, well, the hyperbaric and the hypobaric chambers. So they're the altitude and the dive chambers. So that was mm-hmm. my real career. But by being stationed at Beale Air Force Base, which is where I got stationed after my tech school, and I was like, California, wow. <laughs> I done made it. I'm big time. I'm a movie star. <laughs> no, we were in the middle of nowhere because of this, you know, the reconnaissance aircraft, the spy plane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we were out in Marysville, California, way, way out in the middle of nowhere. 
Nothing like the California you see on TV, of course. So I get there, and I come in there like I own the place, you know. Might have weighed 90 pounds, soaking wet, 18-year-old little black girl from Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> and I came up in there, and I'm like just, and it was around Christmas time, so a lot of people were on leave. So I came in there, and it was kind of quiet, and I'm like, well, so what do I do? And it's kind of just like you just kind of sit around for this time until the mm-hmm. new year started. So I get in there, and we're working out two chambers. But I didn't know um, that I was going to be working with the SR-71 and U-2. So working with the pressure suits was on the job training. We learned about the mm-hmm. physiological uh, differences and things in school to work with the altitude chamber because we had to operate altitude chamber and we had to be inside observers as well. So we had to know the, the effects it have on your body and all that, you know, the boring part. <laughs> <laughs> and so I get there and I learn and I get more on the job training about the chamber because you'd have to be the person that's leading the assignment or you're driving it or you're inside. So. And then the next thing was learning about the pressure suits. And I was mm-hmm. floored. I'm like, when I saw them, I was thinking about, I was thinking about this is some space stuff or something you see on the movies or something. And they had a whole room, this whole room dedicated to, and just suits just hanging. They're just hanging in this big room. They each, each uh, pilot had their own little like bin and mm-hmm. they had their own two assigned suits and helmet and everything was just for that pilot. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like in awe because I've never seen anything like this. Had no idea what I was coming to. And uh, when I got there, I was the only black girl there. I think I think they said one uh, black girl was there before me, but she wasn't there at the time. So anyway, so uh, you know, I'm just like really just like a little, like a little just stick out a like a sponge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're learning. Yeah, just, I'm just like yeah. oh, and I'm just like oh my god. And I'm just I'm just well, y'all could tell I'm real excitable. <laughs> I was so excited, even more so then, because I just couldn't believe my good fortune to land this job out of high school, went to school for a month for the technical school, and now I'm here. And still don't mm-hmm. realize how awesome it is yet, of course, because I haven't even learned anything, but I could just feel it, you know, when you go in the, come in the building, you can just feel this, this is something amazing. And I go in, I'm looking at the suits, I'm touching on them and stuff, and I'm like, first I asked first, because I didn't know if I was allowed to touch it. <laughs> you know, I'm still a kid, I'm still 18. Can I touch it? They was like, yeah. So I'm just like running my hands down the suits, cause they're all lined up. And so, like I said, it's still Christmas, so it's not much happening. No, not a lot of flying going on. And so when the new year hit, we start training. And everything was just like, you know, they show you, y'all know, they show you how to do it. And they see you got it, which is usually a couple of times. It's you. You didn't have, like in uh, at, the, at NASA, you didn't have an engineer and a quality inspector and all this stuff. It was you. You were everything. I had, mm. when, when I fixed it and put the stamp on it and tested it and everything, it was just, so if something happened, they come to see me. <laughs> Because my stamps on it, my initials are on it at the Uh time. Yeah, so you went through like the altitude chamber and you saw those guys like myself and went through those as a fighter pilot. You know, you did. And then when they, you know, they deprive you the oxygen and now you can't add two and two, you know, and you're saying funny things and all. (laughs) And they don't believe it until you show them video. That's I right. told them, we gave them the little toy. You had to put the square pig in the square hole and all that. Or what's right. on the bank left, bank right. And they're like, <laughs> they can't do it. They're trying to think of it. And we and they were like, yeah. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I was doing what you told me. I'm like, watch this clip. Yeah. <laughs> That's you, right? That's you, right? That is good. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad to know that because I'll be trying to explain it to people. Yeah. Wow, That's, that's exactly, That was me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the exciting thing about going from that, you know, where you get to see real live operations in, in the Air Force and 
how important your job was to make sure that the equipment was there, especially when you're at yes. high altitude in SR-71 or U-2. So now, you know, you've been there a while. You spent your number of years, I think it was seven years in the Air Force. Yes. Is that what we did? Mm-hmm. And then, And then you got out, and then you started looking for the other jars. So tell, you know, us a little bit about this wonderful opportunity that you had to graduate from the Air Force all the way into NASA. Just I still I still pinch myself and I'm not even at working there anymore. But it's still just like I can't believe that was my life, you know, because I thought I had the best job in the world in the Air Force. Physiological support division under the Strategic Air Command. Yes, that was the place to be. Mm-hmm. And then we were like and we were like we were like little movie stars because we worked with the SR-71 and U-2 pilots. We drove mm-hmm. them out in the big white van and strapped them into the aircraft and, you know, one of the last people they see and all that. And we come, you sit in our air-conditioned vans with all of the other maintenance guys out there sweating and working. <laughs> that was always fun. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so so when I get to, uh, I got out the service because things were changing at my unit. Nothing, I love the Air Force, but things were changing at my particular unit. It was kind of like becoming a retirement home, and I didn't like the way it was going because they would bring in somebody. Y'all know rank, no matter how dumb you are, if you got more stripes. Yeah, you know? <laughs> you're the yep. boss, and so they were bringing in these guys that were about to retire, and they'd like, and we were turning into a retirement home, like I said. So I'll give this guy a crash course on what we do at the like, pretty much a tour. Mm-hmm. The next week, he's watching me to make sure I'm strapping in a crew member right in an aircraft. Mm-hmm. He don't know nothing, mm-hmm. and so I didn't, I didn't like that. I don't mind nobody watching over, you know, because I had supervisors my whole life there, but not somebody that doesn't know anything. You know, mm-hmm. and I could have been that little butthead and been like, you know, I'm not going to hook up this and see if he catch right. it. You know, he mm-hmm. wouldn't have caught it. He wouldn't have caught it. But mm-hmm. I, my, my integrity was too high, and I loved my crew members, and I would never do put nobody's life in danger just to prove a point like that. But I, I, that stuff crossed my mind. I'm like, why do they have this man watching what I do? And I'm sure they put him with me because they knew that I was going to do everything right, so he didn't really have to worry about checking stuff because I was one of the best, you know. Well, of course you were. <laughs> toot, 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 toot. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway I'm struggling like a lot of veterans do when they get out of service I couldn't and you know only only experience I have is working with chambers and pressure suits it's like you know <laughs> it's not very transferable where's the job opportunity <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly so I'm mm-hmm. out and I'm thinking I'm awesome I'm gonna get a job like that I was in the air force they're gonna be lining up to hire me yeah no sir I struggled y'all I struggled for six months until I got that fateful call. So what I did, people, you know, they see they see you now, and they're like, oh, man, you got it made. You had an awesome life. And I'm like, y'all don't even know. First of all, I didn't even talk about my childhood. I lost both my parents by the time I was seven. Mm-hmm. And I had to live with my sister uh-huh. and her family. And that was very hard on me because I had to, like, grow up overnight. I was older than all my sister's kids, and they were, it was five of them, and I was only seven years old. So I had to grow up um, really quick. And it, it helped. Of course, make me the woman I am, but it was still hard. It was very mm-hmm. hard on me, but I made it through. So some good teachers really helped me mm-hmm. a lot. They gave me the little, the motherliness I wasn't getting at home anymore because, you know, that was my sister. She, you know, she had all her little babies to take care of. I was a big kid now. So anyway, I'm going to get off of that because I'll start <laughs> crying. Um, <laughs> Air Force. I had just gotten out. And I had planned on doing 20 years, mind you, because I loved my job. I love, I still love my job, and I'm not even there. That was the best job ever. Anyway, I get out. I can't find a job. 
I put in for everything under the sun, everything. And everybody was telling me, oh, you know, they love military folks. Everybody would be fighting to hire you. And so that's what I was expecting. So I just put in for everything. Nobody would hire me full time. I got three part-time jobs and I couldn't get uh, an eight-hour job, you know, a full-time job. And nobody, because they didn't want to give me benefits. So I worked at Wine Stocks Department Store in California in their, uh, like, child labor thing, <laughs> putting price tags on clothes, no AC. It was rich. it was horrible. So I'd be there about six hours <laughs> putting on price tags on clothes. Then I'd go to Office Depot and stock shelves for about three or four hours because, once again, nobody would hire me full time. And then I'd go and clean an office building at night. So this was a continuous thing for six months until I got that. Mm. Oh, and I didn't have my own place. I was sleeping on my friend's futon because I couldn't afford it. California's expensive. Mm. I had these little piece of jobs that weren't even giving me barely minimum wage at the time. So I I had nothing but my car because I got it paid off while I was in the service. That's all I had to myself. And so uh, this goes on for six months and I get the wonderful call from my angel, my buddy, Ray Villalobos, another Air Force veteran who actually I I did my last TDY with him, temporary assignment, temporary duty for people that don't know, with him to Greece before he got, uh, before I separated. And he left, he actually left, uh, I think I left before him. So I didn't know that he had left and gone, come out here to Texas and gotten a job with Boeing Aerospace, doing the same dang thing that we did. I mean, just divine intervention. And so he tracks me down. I always tell people this is before Google and social media, it was a good old phone book. He remembered He remembered my roommates. My roommate from the Air Force is who I was bunking with. I was sleeping on her futon. He remembered her name, found her in the phone book, and called her apartment. It was just, it was just meant to be. That changed your life. That's amazing. Changed my life. Changed yeah. my life. I, I always, that's why I always try to remember I say his name. I always just say my buddy, Ray Villalobos. He, I called him. His nickname was Lobo. So if I say Lobo, that's what I'm talking about. He called, he said, Sharon, they have an immediate opening because another guy had moved up to Lockheed. At the time, it was Boeing, Lockheed, and then NASA. And we were contractors, of course, for NASA. And I'm thinking, like, why he calling me, telling me? I'm not even thinking about job opportunity because I'm, I'm so overwhelmed from working these 15 jobs and not getting no sleep. <laughs> I'm like, that's good. Yeah, okay. He's like, call, call these people right now. I already told them about you and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and, you know, it finally clicks. And I didn't even think of, y'all, I didn't even think about trying to see if they had openings at NASA. Hmm. It didn't even click right. when I got out of sure. service. It didn't even click. I don't know why. But anyway, <laughs> I called the number. It was pretty much like a like a little cursory call because he had already prepped them and told them about me, right? And so they was like, come out whenever you're ready. It was just that easy to get a job with space program. Good Lord. <laughs> I like, I'm thinking they'll fly you out for an interview and then do a panel interview yeah. and all. I'm thinking all this stuff is going to happen. They're like, no, come out whenever you're ready. It was just that easy. Wow. Yeah. Well, they knew you about your, your your experience. That's great. Yeah. And that's when I tell kids, I'm like, y'all just never know. Mm-hmm. I had no idea Lobo was working out here. And I know we had a good rapport working together. But if I had been a slacker or something, he wouldn't have called me to bring to his job and make him look mm-hmm. bad. So mm-hmm. I tell people, it's like, you just treat people right and do always do the right thing because it'll come back around. It'll come back around. So you immediately get from California to Texas to Boeing, right? Yes, sir. How how long are you at Boeing? Well, Boeing became United Space Alliance. I got there July uh, July 7, 1990. Okay. And I drove. I thought I was picking up. I always make it look funny. It's like I was like Beverly Hillbillies. I threw all my clothes in the car, and I drove from California to Texas (laughs) as quick as I could. (laughs) 
And I said, I didn't care if they were paying me five dollars an hour. I'm leaving. I was so ready to leave California. What was it? This similar to what you were doing in California? Identical. Really? The same thing, wow. y'all. I just couldn't believe my blessings, fortune. I mean, like I said, it was divine. Except these weren't the same. These job. weren't retirees. The retirement home people that were working, right? No. <laughs> You got some. You got some new life because you've got some young, excited, yes. energetic, smart yes. people, and, right? And and I was the main one because I was so used to working so hard and doing everything by myself in the Air yeah. Force. I came in and pretty much worked circles around the civilians or whoever was already there working. Yeah. Because you know, in the Air Force, you do everything. I get here, it's like, no, you just do the suit. You just work on this. I'm like, what? We don't strap mm. them in. We don't do that. We don't do the parachute, the seat kits. We'll do it. The suit. <laughs> you do the suit. That's your part. So, no chambers. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, looking for, <laughs> so, I'm looking for everything. Yeah. So now you're involved in the space shuttle program. And yes. what year is this now when you first started? 1990. 1990. Okay, 1990. Uh-huh. And, of course, uh, 1986, we had the uh, Challenger accident in the space shuttle, which was a travesty for all of us You know who remember that. So 1990 going along. Now just, you know, Explain a little bit about this wonderful opportunity that you got to meet some really cool astronauts like uh, Mae Jameson and then the fact that you got to see and, and upfront experience the excitement of launching into space. My goodness. Before I forget, I want to tell you guys, even though watching the shuttle launches, was, they were amazing, yeah. the SR-71 still, hands down, yeah, is more impressive, was more impressive to yeah. me. That mm-hmm. SR-71 was a bad memory yeah. Ooh, I love that airplane. Watching it take off was just amazing. I remember seeing it fly. Oh I, I saw it fly into Guam one time when I was there in 1977 <sighs> and and stayed out until it took off because I wanted to see it go. And, oh, man, it went. Absolutely. <laughs> it's so impressive. Yeah. I mean, you see the shuttle and it's going. And you see the smoke plumes. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. But have you seen the <laughs> SR-71 take off? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to know. Have you seen yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and they do the, oh. they hit they hit it and make that fireballs pop out. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was so, it, it's like, I, I want to sing, proud to be in America. <laughs> Every time I see it take off. <laughs> All right. So, so, May, so. May Jameson. Now, I'm, yes. I I was looking at a picture of you with her, right? Kind of uh, getting her yes. suited up. And I'm thinking, you know, in in my lifetime, I, I'm happy that I've seen moments like that. I mean, certainly not nearly as happy as for you and the accomplishments, uh, yes. you, you know, that that you and May and others have made over the years. But even for me, a, a father of daughters and, and, and just, yes. you know, having lived that life, that's I can see the pride in both of your faces. It's just the, the first meeting. You can't even imagine the I was just like a little kid. I just couldn't yeah. wait. All right. Picture this. 1990, I get here, right? I've had a, a couple of flights under my belt by the time May, May's flight comes around. 1990, 1991, Dr. Jemison get assigned to her mission, STS-47. So I got here just in time. That's why I keep saying it was divine intervention. It was just meant to be. If I would have got here, if the job opening would have been a year later, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been able to suit her up because I wouldn't have been here long enough to know their policies and pro- progr- processes and everything, yep. right? And then explain the historic significance of May. She is the first black woman, woman of color, to go into space. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. And she did one and done. She did that one mission and she was like, see. <laughs> <laughs> I made history. Can't nobody ever take Got that away. Else to I'm prove. Okay. Yep. I made it back safe. I, I'm good. Yep. Let me move on to the next. But uh, so the way the flights get assigned, the missions get assigned, there's a huge plexiglass board out in our lab where we work on the suits. The supervisor, once they get, get assigned, he'll come out of here and write STS-47. And STS stands for Space Transportation System, if I remember right. A shuttle mm-hmm. transportation system. Yeah, shuttle mm-hmm. transportation system. So he writes it up there and he'll write the crew members. And I already heard the first black woman astronaut is coming, right? So I'm just like waiting, like a little bulldog, just waiting for him to write it up there. And he, mm-hmm. <laughs> he starts writing the names. And of course, she was like one of the last names because she was MS-4, if I remember right. MS-4, Mission Specialist. So they're towards the bottom. You start off commander, pilot, MS-1, MS-2. Okay. You know. And so he, when he wrote her name up there, I took the Sharpie out of his hand and wrote my name next to hers. And then I looked around like daring somebody to say something. <laughs> you know, I'm the only black person, you know, so it's like, y'all know I'm suiting her up. Mm-hmm. And I'm the only black woman, black person, period, in this department. I'm suiting her up. <laughs> and so when I wrote it, I looked around, and then I thought, then I got scared. I'm like, I'm going to get fired. i only been here a year. <laughs> and I snatched this mark out my supervisor's head, you know. <laughs> so all this went through my head. My life flashed before my eyes. <laughs> I'm going back to California. <laughs> Well, that, so, it was history was made. History yeah. was made. So, so Sharon, t- the, the suit we we've talked about the yes. So the SR seventy one suit. Now you're now you're mm-hmm. you know suiting her up to go to space. What's special yes. about this suit? This suit is is life sustaining equipment, of course, but it is just an extra layer because, as you know from missions. Before, they didn't wear the suit. They don't have to wear the suit. Like, nowadays, they're hardly wearing a suit either with the commercial ones. But it's just an extra protection of layer, which you mentioned uh, Challenger accident earlier. I was mm-hmm. actually on dorm duty. What, what did we call it? CQ? I can't remember what it was called when you yeah. was on dorm duty. Yeah. <laughs> and I was yeah. actually watching the television in the room, in the uh, the main room where we all hang out and stuff at the dorm. And I was, I saw that happen and I thought it was mm. pretend. I couldn't believe it was for real. I saw the, I was watching, actually just wa- walking by and saw it on television. Never thinking in a million years I'd ever have anything to do with a space program. Yeah. And so that was my little moment with uh, the Challenger in 1986. And so my job, crew escape equipment, it actually started because of the Challenger accident. They started mm. wear, back wearing the suits as an extra, not of course, we know if the shuttle explodes, it's not gonna, the suit's not gonna do anything. Right. It's only for if they have a loss of cabin pressure, which we talk about with the chamber, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or if it's a bailout scenario is the really main, main reason. But if they lost cabin pressure, I kind of describe it to people that don't know. Uh, like you see in the airplane movies, a hole getting the cabin and stuff flying everywhere. They're losing cabin pressure. The suit would automatically sense that change in pressure. It would pressurize. Of course, they have to have everything on, the helmet and the gloves. If you don't, it's like a big hole in it. So that's all I tell the kids. You got to make it click, make it click, make it click. Everything got to click so you'll know it's fastened. Um, it would sense that change and it mm-hmm. would automatically pressurize and keep them safe inside until they got down to a low enough altitude to bail out if they needed to. Okay. And then the yeah. other reason for it is if they did bail out, you know, you could get hypothermia waiting in that cold water for the helicopter to come to get you. Oh, sure. <laughs> so it helps with that part too. And they have a life raft that's attached to the bottom of the parachute, a one-person life raft. So that's what the suit is for. And it's orange mm-hmm. because, you know, it can be seen easily, of course, in the water or on land. Right. It don't blend in with anything. <laughs> now, here's a question I wanted to really ask you, if I may. Yeah. You know, yes. you know, when I was flying fighters, you know, you're in your 
near the cockpit and things like that. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see any examples, without naming anybody, but did you see examples where people got claustrophobia when they put the suit on? Yeah, we had some pilots that didn't make it through, even with the mm -hmm. mask. You mentioned mm -hmm. you know how y'all got in the chamber and had to put the mask on? We had some guys mm -hmm. that couldn't do the mask. Mm -hmm. They put it on mm -hmm. for a little while and then no. But with the helmet, even uh, here when they go underwater to do their practicing, my mm -hmm. husband is a scuba, uh, one of the divers over at the NBL, the Neutral Buoyancy Lab, where they practice their mm -hmm. weightless uh, environment training. Mm -hmm. So they get what's called like fishbowl. They, when mm -hmm. they drop them down in the water with the suit on, and they, they start closing in on them, and they start freaking out, and they have to bring them back up. So mm -hmm. it's, that's what I'm saying. You don't know until you're actually in that environment. And when, I've been in right. a suit a bunch of times, and I, you know you feel it for a second, like, oh, you know, it's kind of enclosed. And then in the Air Force, the neck seal in the, uh, with the – Space program, they had a neck seal, but in the Air Force, it was in the helmet. The seal was around their face, so you even got more claustrophobic stuff mm -hmm. going on because it's all around your face, and it's like, oh, my God, I didn't like that. I don't know how they did that. It even mm -hmm. kind of blocked your vision some, you know, because you got this seal around your face. I mean, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, right. right on your face. Mm -hmm. And so um, so some people couldn't pass. They couldn't pass because they couldn't deal with the helmet being closed. And like I said, some mm -hmm. didn't even make it past the mask. <laughs> so you know they couldn't right. do a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah. We had a few people didn't make sure. So so on that on that Endeavor mission of May's. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. did you suit her up before she boarded the shuttle? So yeah, yep, that you, that infamous picture. I don't think I have it in here, but the yeah. picture that you see everywhere yeah. of me kind of bending yeah. over, adjusting a yeah. strap. That was launch morning, September twelfth, nineteen ninety two. This year is the thirtieth anniversary. Of that mission, can Man. you believe it's been thirty you, years? That's crazy. What did, what did what did you say to one another right there? Is your is we were like little. It was like the very first time we saw each other during the fit check. When they first get assigned, they come in uh, for a fit check, so we can get out. We have basic sizes, yeah. you know. We have their street clothes okay. size, so we kind of go off of that and know to have certain sizes in the room to do the nipping and tucking, and you know. So it was like it was like the first time we met. It was like electricity. Yeah. I, I was just like, oh my god, I can't believe it's about to happen. And not even thinking about the big picture and later on this is going to be a big deal or nothing, but just that that moment, this is amazing. The first black astro black woman astronaut is about to go into yeah. space, and I got a hand in it, a big yeah. hand. I mean, all over her, Dude, my hand. <laughs> yeah, you got the last hands on her is what you got. <laughs> <laughs> so she walks in, and when they walk in, they already have on their uh, their long johns, their underwear. Okay. I always have to specify because kids will think it's like, you know, panties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, it's long johns. Their underwear is long johns. And their diaper, of course, which is the only thing kids care about, the diaper. <laughs> they don't care about the okay. <laughs> So they come, they walk in from their uh, their bedrooms where they're sleeping at the, it's called the Operations and Checkout building, the ONC building. Mm -hmm. So when you see the astronauts walking out waving and all the paparazzi taking pictures, they just left the third floor where we just checked them out and suited them up and okay. everything. So they just left. When did you... And so when did you when oh, did ahead. you see her when she got back first? When did you see her? Oh, you I, was, there. I was I was there. I was there. They have a vehicle. I'm trying to think of the acronym, the name of the vehicle, but it's like an elevated vehicle. It rides like a regular bus, but then it lifts up. Yep. And it co connects up to the shuttle because, you know, they come back in yep. airplane mode. Yep. And it lifts up to the door and it connects. And so we're on that bus to help them. So I'm waiting at the door and I'm thinking, you know, because most astronauts, are like a little woozy. They may throw up. You know, they've been in space for about a week. They've lost muscle mass, so they're a little noodle leg, sure. noodly. And some of them uh, may not pressurize their G suit when they're coming back into the Earth's atmosphere, so they might be lightheaded from that. Okay. So it's just, it, everybody's different. Yep. 
So I'm waiting. We have wheelchairs. We're ready to, for them to prop up against us to walk them to their lazy boys to help them take their gear off and stuff. So we're waiting right there by the door. Everybody's walking out. A few people are peeking, you know, look a little blue around the gills. And, you know, some people are using their barf bags. And, and we have a doctor on board, of course, to check everybody out. And I'm waiting. I'm like, where's May? <laughs> Looking. <laughs> Did they leave her up there? <laughs> she walks off. Like, she hasn't even been to space, y'all. She mm -hmm. walks up like she just walking from another room, just like, hey, what's up? That, me and her, I'm like, I'm in shock because I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm like, I'm not have to help her. No. No, no, sir. Walked right off like she hadn't even been to space. Mm. Walked over to her Good. chair and was helping me take her stuff. I'm like, I got it. I got it. <laughs> Let me help you. You've been in space for a week. It mm. did. It did. I mean, now maybe it hit her. If it Maybe it was excitement. I don't know. Yeah. But she wasn't blue around the gills. She wasn't acting like she was about to throw nothing. Nothing. Mm. Walked off, no noodle legs. I was so impressed. No, so impressed. Good. Because no, all, good. and you know, on that mission, we had the first married couple. Mm -hmm. We had mm -hmm. the first uh, Japanese astronaut to go up on the shuttle. So it was, a, it was an exciting mission. Yeah. It really was. I was so fortunate to be a part of that. Oh, my goodness. And who knew that it would, you know, years later, and I always tell people, you know, I'm considered a modern day hidden figure. You guys, I never thought that until the movie Hidden Figures came out. Mm. And I worked at NASA for 22 years. Mm. Had never heard of these women, never seen nothing about them. So when I found out that was real, I got mad. And then I got over and I got happy because they're finally being, their story's finally yeah. being told and they're getting their flowers. And so that prompted me to say, you know what? I guess I, I need to tell yeah. my story, but I didn't, I didn't think nothing because I'm in pictures with Dr. Jemison, even a little quick video clip of me suiting her yeah. up, you know, for launch morning. It was real quick, a couple of seconds, but it was yeah. me. That's right. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. And so I didn't consider myself hidden. And I thought everybody just knew cause I'm in pictures and I'm here in space city. Everybody know I suited yeah. up Dr. Jemison. So I never like reached out to tell nobody. So after that movie in 2017, when I saw it, I reached out to my hometown newspaper in Moss Point, Mississippi, which is where I'm from. And a young man, Tyler Carter, he, he worked at the Mississippi Press. Hmm. And I talked to him and told him about it. I emailed him the pictures and my story, like I'm kind of going over with you guys. And he was like, wait a minute. He called, because I put my number and stuff in there. He's like, this is you in this picture? And you from Mississippi? <laughs> <laughs> it's like I was the astronaut. <laughs> so that's how it started. Okay. And you know, we're in the social media area, and it started spreading on social media. And people were like, oh, my God, that is you. They'll look at it like I'm lying. <laughs> that is you. <laughs> First thing they say, shut up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, you suited up Dr. Jemison. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, and not only Dr. Jemison, a lot of yeah. other astronauts. That's all I have to tell yeah. people. A lot of, I've suited up a lot of astronauts. She's just the most famous, to, you know, has the most notoriety. Is that's it, all. So how many did you, in the course of all that time in NASA, how many did you suit up for launch? Oh, for launch... Uh, roughly 25 for launch. Okay. But yeah. keep in mind, people think that all we did was suit people up for launch. It was a continuous mm. thing all year long. It wasn't just for mm. launch. They, you'd have three or four crews training at one yeah. time. Mm -hmm. So you're processing these suits. The suits need overhaul, the helmets, the gloves. Everything comes apart and gets put back together. Stuff gets damaged. Sometimes they uh, train in their actual flight suits. We try to just use mm -hmm. training suits so they don't damage them so much. But, and that causes damage. So we're constantly repairing these things and overhauling them and doing periodic inspections, testing them, 
I mean, it's a constant thing. You'll have about five mm-hmm. technicians assigned to a mission. And there was mm-hmm. about 20, 20 to 25 technicians at one time in our department, mm-hmm. the crew escape equipment department. Mm-hmm. And it's just constant. People, we are so busy. And people thought, oh, y'all just sit around and wait for a launch to go. It's like, I know. <laughs> if you could spend a day with us, you see. <laughs> we are super busy. Yeah, so I always tell people, no, we don't just sit around and wait. And when they launch, we just kick back and be like, hey. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> We're working the entire time. Yeah. But I told them I was more busy in the Air Force because they flew almost every yeah. day, you know. Mm-hmm. So we were constantly working there. So too. now it's got to be cool for you when you talk to young people now, right? You've got the kids <gasps> book behind you and you got you got Moon 2024, right? I mean, all, the, all yes. of that's happening. It's still, it, it's an incredibly exciting time right now for space with, you know, the new web telescope up and what's going on with maybe Mars and certainly the moon. When you talk to young people, do you smile like this and say, it is all possible. Yes. Yes. And I tell them, I'm like, you know what? Did y'all know you can work at NASA without a college degree? Made it all the way to the top of her career without a college degree. And I always want to make sure I tell them that part. Not discouraging them from college, right. but they may be like me. I didn't have any money to go to college. That's why I joined the Air Force, for them to pay for my school. Yeah. And they gave me this awesome job where I was traveling every two months. And I was like, I'll go next semester. I'll go next semester. Right. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> next semester hey. never <laughs> they, they keep you hopping. They keep you hopping. You're right. Yes. Yeah. And I just, I just always make sure I, I end with that. Of course, some teachers don't like that. I'm, I'm like, but it's real well, life. Right. A lot of these kids are not going to go to college or be able to go to college or don't want to go to college. You know, they got to mm-hmm. know that there are other options. You know, certifications, trade schools, the military. I pushed the military. Neither one of my kids would join. I tried because I told them how awesome it was. And I know everybody don't have the same experience. Yeah, you translated this excitement into that book. You know, it's, yes. it's suiting up with Shay. That's awesome. Yes. That's great. So tell us a little bit about the book. If y'all got any kids in your life, even if you don't, you will like the book. I'm telling you, it's mm-hmm. so cute. <laughs> so it's a mother-daughter conversation. The What happens is uh, the little girl and her parents and her little brother are eating breakfast. And um, her mom asks her, you know, what does she want to do? Because the boys are going to go do something. It's going to be the girl's day. And she says she wants to play dress up. And she lands on, she thinks about it, and she lands on astronaut, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. And her mom, being a former suit tech, says, well, be, make it a teachable moment. Before you suit up, let me tell you all about that suit. So she walks her through the different layers and tells mm-hmm. her a few little facts about the space shuttle taking off and stuff. And when she gets to the end, because throughout the story, the little girl's like, is she ready? Is she ready to go yet? Because she's like, all this stuff you got to put on. <laughs> So at the end, she finally said, she's like, I don't know if I want to be an astronaut no more, dress up like an astronaut, because <laughs> that's a lot of stuff. And so she gets to the end, her mom pulls out a little costume, a little space suit costume, and she's like, oh, you know, so it's, it's so adorable. But I give you a lot of information. It's not a little kitty kitty book like rhyming and all okay. that. It's it's educational. That's good. <laughs> you get a lot of information. Good. That's great. I love it. And I'm, I'm and I dress up in a little orange suit when I go out to read to kids. Nice. You know, I look like my little character, Shay. Nice. And I just, I have a ball. And I have, I'll have one of the teachers come up and I'll put a diaper on her <laughs> to make the kids okay. <laughs> Over her clothes, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh-huh. So I just have fun with the kids and just let them know <laughs> there's so many other opportunities to work with the space program than being an astronaut or a rocket scientist. There are mm-hmm. so many behind the scene op- uh, jobs that have to make sure that astronaut get to do what mm-hmm. they do. Mm-hmm. So I just want them to know there's so many other opportunities. Exactly. And black people work at NASA. So a lot of them still, you like, you work there? I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
I mean, you look, so, if you, you know, from when you were in the Air Force to now, you know, 30 years down the road, there's more now than when you started. It was a different time when you when you exactly. started. You know, we still had some catching up to do and we still do, yeah. but it's encouraging to see kids of color in STEAM programs and and yes. you know, getting excited about space and you know, I see some of the stuff that uh, that Musk is doing with SpaceX and I see the diversity yes. in the in the Amazing. teams that he's built. It, it's an exciting I I'm a child of the 60s who grew up watching Neil Armstrong and Buzz, and I slept in my front yard for two days because I was sure I could see him on the moon, right? I was positive about that, right? That's that's my experience with space, and I'm excited to see young people excited about space again. And I try to do my part still, even though I haven't worked there since the shuttle retired. That people think I still work there because I'm still so excited about what I, I mean. I still love my job. I always tell people I still go by and try to swipe my badge to try to get in. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. But you also suited up. I know Charlie Bolden, who was an yes. African American and not only was an astronaut, but also was the head of NASA. So people need you. to know that too. It's great. Yes, yeah, sir. Perfect. On STS yeah. 45, I suited up uh, uh, Commander Bolden. Yes, I did. Oh, that's great. I even uh, suited up uh, Dr. Bernard Harris. Uh, he oh, did the, okay. the first black man to do a spacewalk. Look at you. And that one, another one I got lucky on, the technician that was supposed to suit him up, he got sick. Oh. And they needed somebody to come down immediately. There you were. There I was you like, were. I'll take it. No, take it. And so I got to suit him up on STS-55. And uh, oh, uh, oh, uh, Air Force. Yeah. Susan Helms. Y'all know Susan yeah. Helms? Told She's him. another Air Force sure. lady. I suited mm-hmm. her up and Eileen Collins, another oh, Air Force, yeah. first female commander. Eileen Collins is a great friend of uh, Wings of the yeah. Rockies, our museum. I so love she's been Eileen. here. And she's our honorary uh, chair for our teacher oh, flight program. So she, we fly teachers awesome. for free, so it's great. So she's I need, I need great. a title. You need a title? All right, we'll work on it. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, we'll get back to you. <laughs> the fun ambassador. There you go. Yeah, there right. you go. There you go. That's great. Sharon, look, this this was a great pleasure having you here today. Oh, thank and, you. I, I don't think there was enough energy in general. No. In this. Do you think no, so? No, probably not, John. You're probably I got to amp it up a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was awesome. It was great. It really was. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sharon McDougal, for joining us on Behind the Wings. I'll tell you, John, that was so good. I, I'm inspired by her. I think that's what I came away with, to uh, lose her parents so early in her life and to be determined to make a career and a way for herself and where it led. I mean, if this isn't an example of just pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and not letting anything be an obstacle, I, I don't know a better one. It was very empowering. Well, it was exciting to hear her excitement, but also the fact that, you know, she started in the Air Force as a young enlisted woman. What a job she did, and and what an exciting story. Well, I'll tell you, if that's going to be the pattern here, you're not going to want to miss one, folks. That's going to do it for today for Episode 3. Thanks for listening to Behind the Wings. Now, I mean it. Be sure to visit wingsmuseum.org to join the conversation and access the show notes. And we'll be back soon with another episode of Behind the Wings. Head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to subscribe and leave a review. It helps us a lot. It really does, and we do appreciate it. And how about this? We'll see you next time on Behind the Wings.